You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to go to John chapter 1 today as we continue in our series that we've entitled All is Calm. And as we've been saying each week, this is kind of an ironic title um, because as many of you know, anything or life is anything but calm, uh, especially during this time of year. Um, but what we've been talking about is the truth that that um, though we live in this in-between stage, between this time where we look back and we celebrate the birth of Jesus, but we also groan with all of creation, waiting for the returning of Christ, and he'll put all things to right. Um, though we're in this in-between stage, we still experience disappointment and frustration and death and, and dysfunction and grief and all of these things. Um, what we've been discovering is Jesus really is uh, the one who brings us an inner calmness and a peace in the midst of the brokenness and the chaos that is around us. And today, as we continue our series, we're going to be in John chapter 1. I'm going to be reading from the NIV translation. And as always, our notes are on the YouVersion Bible app. So John chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 through verse 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And the light shines into the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Let's pray together one more time. Father, I thank you for each person who is here today, who you sustained throughout the night. And you woke up and you brought into this room. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you will do what only you can do. That you will give us a heart to receive every gift that you have for us this Advent season. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, Advent is about many things. Advent is about waiting. It is about longing. It is about hoping. But Advent is also about a willingness to face the darkness. It's about a willingness to face the darkness in the world and a willingness to face the darkness within our own lives. As theologian Fleming Rutledge once said, Advent has two faces, the face of light and the face of darkness, the face of holiday cheer, but also the face of holiday pain. And though as followers of Jesus, we are called to hold these two together, light and darkness, and this dynamic tension, the truth is, this is not an easy thing for us to do. I was talking with a member of our church uh, recently who has lost a brother to cancer. And she said that when her brother was dying, it hurt the family to see how her brother's favorite uncle never once came to visit him in the hospital. And when I asked her, why do you think this is? She said, well, it's simple because the uncle just didn't want to watch my brother die. He didn't want to come up close to the pain. In other words, he didn't want to face the darkness. And as I thought about that this week, I thought, you know, like this uncle, all of us, if we can be honest, we're tempted to run from darkness. We're tempted to run from pain and suffering and brokenness. But what I want you to hear this morning is this. The degree to which you are willing to face the darkness 
is the degree to which you are able to experience the light. I want to say that again. The degree to which you're willing to face the darkness is the degree to which you're able to experience the light. In other words, because Christian spirituality is about living in reality, to refuse to deal with darkness is to stay in the darkness. But on the flip side, if rather than responding to the darkness and the pain with an unhealthy escapism, we will instead take a hard look into what is cracked and fractured in our world and in our lives, then and only then can we experience the light and with it the life that Jesus has come to bring us. And that is what we're going to see right here in John chapter 1, which if you look back in verse 1, John is showing us the great hope that we have even in the midst of this darkness. And he starts his gospel with three very familiar words. He says, in the beginning. Now these are not original words to John. He actually is pulling this from the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. And I'll put these verses on the screen for you. But in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1, the first thing we ever see written in the Bible are these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. And what? Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then God said, let there be light and there was light. This is how the Bible opens with a theological reality That everything began with God. And when God speaks, what we notice is nothing can stop his word. If you notice again in verse 3, God says, let there be light and there was light. There's no conversation. There's no committee. There's no negotiation. God simply speaks a word. And as a result, light and life burst forth. And because John is aware of this reality... Because he knows how powerful the word of God is. As he's reflecting on the creation account, he makes, if you notice, a direct connection between the creator God and Jesus. Which is why he says, in the beginning was the word, capital W. And the word was with God and the word was God. Does anybody know who is, G- who is uh, uh, John talking about here when he's talking about the word? Jesus. Jesus. As I've told you before, when someone asks you a question in church, nine times out of ten, you say, Jesus, you're going to get it right. He's talking about Jesus, and we know this is true because in verse 14 he goes on and he says, and then the word became flesh. That's why we celebrate Christmas. And he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Translation, what John is saying here is Jesus Christ, the one who was born in a manger, is also the one who flung the world into existence. What he's saying is that Jesus, though he is fully human, he is also fully God. Which means more than Jesus just being a miracle worker, more than him just being a healer, or a good man, or a teacher, or your homeboy, Jesus is Emmanuel. He is God with us in the flesh. And because this is true, as John Stott points out in his book, Basic Christianity, there's really only one of three responses. You cannot simply like Jesus and that be it. But rather, whenever you see in the scriptures that Jesus himself claimed to be God, people responded in one of three ways. Either they hated him and wanted to kill him because they thought he was a liar, or they ran from him because they thought he was a lunatic, or they bowed down and worshipped him because they realized he was the Lord. 
He is God in the flesh. And John says, this is what I want to root you in. I want to root you in the identity of Jesus. I want you to, to see the humanity and the divinity of Jesus tied together as one. And then as John continues, he once again begins to use similar language to the language you read in Genesis. Because just as Genesis chapter 1 starts with darkness, John chapter 1 verse 5 opens with John talking about darkness. But here in verse 5, he's not talking simply about a physical darkness. He's talking about a spiritual darkness. He's talking about the darkness of lies. He's talking about the darkness of depression and anxiety. The darkness of brokenness and betrayal and sarcasm and selfishness. He's talking about the darkness of our ego and ingratitude, loneliness and lust and death and divorce and demonic powers that still are at work and moving through the world unseen. He's talking about the darkness that we're confronted with when we turn on the news, the darkness of war and terrorism and political corruption and mass shootings. He's talking about the darkness that we rub up against in our city, the darkness of poverty and addiction and abuse and abandonment. He's talking about the darkness that is all around us. But listen, he's also talking about the darkness that is within us. He's talking about the darkness that is in the world, but he's also talking about the darkness that is in our hearts that we all have to wrestle with on a daily basis. I think of that line from uh, Dostoevsky in his novel, The Brothers Karamazov, who said, God and the devil are fighting, and the battlefield is the human heart. The truth is, no matter who you are or where you come from, we all today, all of us, have to wrestle with darkness inside. We all have to wrestle with the darkness of twisted desires, The darkness of rage, the darkness of lust, the darkness of envy, the darkness because of wounds that we experience in our childhood, the darkness of trying to numb our pain through things like social media and work and food and drink and alcohol and sex. I mean, you just name it. I've recently been thinking about the darkness in my own life as I've been paying closer attention to how I react to certain things. And one of the things that I've realized is how the darkness of shame can still drive my decisions on a daily basis. In fact, just this past Wednesday, um, I was sick the day before and had to miss some work. So I really needed to get out the door earlier than normal to get into the office. And just when I was about to walk out the door, the truck was running and everything. All of a sudden I realized I had this little bitty stain on my sweater, like a little drop of water. But it was a stain. It's a piece of uh, uh, coconut oil, if you want to know, to be exact. And so... um, and so I had this little sign on me, and rather than just being like, ah, you know, it is what it is, probably nobody will even notice. No, I thought to myself, I cannot possibly go out looking like this. Like, that would be embarrassing, right, to have this little dot on my sweater the, all day long. And so I go into my bathroom, and I begin to feverishly try to remove the stain from my sweater. But with every passing second that the stain would not come out of the shirt, I found myself increasingly getting anxious, thinking about the fact that I'm getting late for work. And so eventually, I did what any man would do. I began to yell at my wife. And I began to, she was across the house and it started with just a Megan, no response. And then Megan went to Megan, no response. Then Megan, finally she comes into the room and she's like, what is going on? And I'm like, what is going on? This is going on. (laughs) And she looks at my sweater and she's like, what? And I'm like, this, this stain, it's right here on my sweater. And she looks, she's like, well, what do you want me to do about it? She actually... Yeah, She had just told me, by the way, the day before, it is easier to take care of our kids when they are sick than to take care of you when you are sick. And so, and now I've got this stain on my sweater and I'm like, what do you want me to do about it? And I said, I want you to fix it. 
of course. And she said, okay, we'll take it off. And I thought in the washing machine, I was like, I can't take it off. My hair's fixed, right? I mean, it's like, if I take it off and then, and then also like, what am I going to wear? This looks great, you know? And, and in that moment, she looks at me and she says, time out. She said, uh, you got the stain on the shirt and you're mad at me? I told her, I was like, it's, it's 2020, baby. This is literally, or it's almost 2020. I said, I said, if we can't get a stain out of a shirt without putting it in the washing machine, something's wrong. I was like, and she, she just was looking at me and she's like, I, what are you so upset about right now? And, and I, I stopped and I took a breath. And what I realized in that moment, my issue is not with my wife. And the issue is not with the stain. The issue is with my shame. It was with this reality that, I can't walk out of the house and look stupid in the eyes of others. And then because of that, I'm sitting there trying to get the stain out, which is making me late. And honestly, the anxiety was coming from the fact of, of with every minute that I'm late for the office, that cuts in the time that I need to be preparing this message that I'm going to preach today. And if this is not a good message, I could fail. And if I could fail, then what are you going to think of me? Wow. It's all going on below the surface in that moment. And as I thought about that this past week, I thought to myself, man, I still deal so much, even as a pastor, with toxic shame and darkness every single day. Every single day. And the reason I share that with you this morning is because the same is true for you. Maybe it's not shame. Right? Maybe for you it's, it's, it's guilt or it's anxiety or it's lust or it's, it's envy. But whatever it is, like me, every single one of you in here has to deal with a darkness that lurks within and because John knows this is true, I want you to, to look at what he writes next. And I've been so excited to share this with you uh, all week. I've been reflecting on this. Man, I can't wait to share this. Because what I want you to notice is up until verse 5, John has been writing in the past tense. Have you noticed that? It starts in verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word or the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he goes on, he continues to write in the past tense. But then if you notice, you get to verse 5, and John makes a drastic shift. Because he goes from talking in the past tense to the present continual tense. And he says, the light, verse 5, shines into the darkness. I love that John does not say here, the light once did shine. But rather, he says, no, the light shines and it keeps on shining. The darkness keeps coming. Let's not be foolish. There's darkness, clearly. It keeps coming. But he says, though the darkness keeps coming, the light keeps on shining. And then look, and the darkness, he says, has not overcome it. The word that he uses there for overcome is the Greek word katalabano, which literally means to comprehend or to apprehend. In other words, what John is, is getting at here when he says the darkness is not overcome, it, what he's saying is the darkness doesn't even know what to do with the light. The devil can't compute it. He can't comprehend it. And therefore, he certainly can't apprehend it. As I began to think about that this week, I thought about a couple years ago, our missional community was helping to move a, 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 one of our Muslim families to a different house, and we were over trying to get their stuff on a trailer when all of a sudden these police officers went running by us trying to catch a criminal, who they didn't catch, by the way. He was too quick, too crafty. And I began to think, man, that's a picture of darkness and light. The light is, is moving. It's continuing to progress, and the darkness cannot catch the light. The darkness can't stop the light. It cannot take the light down. The light of Christ has shined into the darkness, and the darkness, John said, has not overcome it. 
This is the good news of Christmas. That into this darkness, into the darkness of our world, into the darkness of our family, into the darkness of our own lives, God sent a child. And it was a child who would not be born into power and privilege, but into poverty. A child that would then grow and he would become a man and he would go to a cross and he would die an unjustly criminal death that was reserved for the worst of the worst, even though he did nothing wrong. And the reason he would do this, the reason that Jesus would die this horrific death on a cross was not because of his sin, but it was because of your sin and my sin. Jesus had no sin. He was perfect. He was sinless, but he went to the cross and died for you and me. Isaiah, 800 years before Christ would be born, would prophesy about this day. And Isaiah would say this, Jesus was born to carry our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquity. The punishment that brought us peace was brought upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We are healed. I had a youth pastor one time try to explain this verse to me like this. He says that if this hand represents you, and let's say this book represents sin, and this hand represents God, no matter how hard you try to work to get to God or get close to him, your sin always separates you from him. But what Jesus came to do is literally, he came and he went to the cross and he bore your sin. He took your sin upon him and then he went to the grave and then he rose from the grave three days later, burying your sin there so that now when you trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you can have perfect intimacy with God. And you can know you're loved and you're accepted and that he has cut off the power of sin, death, and darkness in your life and that nothing now can pluck you from his hand. This is what John is getting at when he says the light shines into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is, as the angels declared in Luke 2, the good news of great joy that is for all people. No matter who you are or where you come from. It's the good news of great joy for all people. But here is the bad news today. It is very possible that even though the light is shining for you to still live in the darkness. Because in order for you to receive the light of God... It requires that you open yourselves up to the light. And here's the way that I can try to explain this to you. When my kids were younger, they were afraid of the dark. And so every night after I would tuck them in bed and pray for them, my daughter's here, may remember this, they would say to me, Dad, turn the closet light on. And so I would turn the closet light on. If the door was shut, they couldn't see the light. And so they'd say, Dad, open the closet door up. And so I'd open it just a little bit. You know what happens when I'd open that door up and I'd crack it open? Light shone into the darkness. It shined into the darkness. And they would sometimes say, Dad, open it up just a little bit more. And the more that I would open up the closet door, the more light would literally obliterate the darkness in the room. And as I thought about that this past week, I thought, that's it. The light is shining. Just like behind that closet door, the light is shining, but it took a crack in the door for the light to overcome the entire room. And as I thought about that this week, I thought, man, that's Jesus. That's Jesus. That's what he's asking from you and from me, to open your life up to him and to know that when we open up our lives to him, The more we become vulnerable, the more we become needy, the more we become honest about our brokenness, honest about our fears, our anxieties, our addictions, our troubles, our sin. The more we open up our lives to Jesus, his light shines into the darkness and the darkness can't do anything about it. For some of you this morning, you were here and your marriage is in darkness. Look good on the outside, but you're basically nothing more than two ships passing in the night. You just become roommates. God has so much more for you than that. 
For some of you in here, you have been battling an addiction behind closed doors. You're trying to figure this thing out on your own, which is why you keep relapsing. And today, Jesus is calling you to open yourself up. Some of you in here, you are marked by childhood trauma, stuff that happened to you back when you were 10 or 11 years old, and it's shaping the way you act. It's shaping the way you see the world. It's shaping the way you talk to yourself and others. And today, Jesus is calling you to open up. And listen, I know this is not easy. It's not easy to be vulnerable. It's not easy to be needy. It's not easy to confess your sin and be honest about your brokenness. But listen, again, all it takes is a crack. All it takes is just a little opening for the light to pierce through the darkness and begin to shoot life through your entire existence. This is the good news of Christmas. And with that being said, before we end, I want to share with you now very quickly just four simple invitations that Advent extends to you, four very simple, practical invitations for you and me. And then after sharing that, we're going to participate in a candle lighting ceremony. But the first thing I want you to see before we end is that Advent invites us to identify the darkness within ourselves. In the words of Tish Warren, to practice Advent is to lean into an almost cosmic ache. Our deep, wordless desire for things to be made right and in the incompleteness we find in the meantime. Advent reminds us that all of us, in one way or another, are not only wounded by evil in the world, but are also wielders of it, contributing our moments of unkindness or impatience or selfishness. And a lot of this, Advent invites us to examine our own hearts, to look inside and say, okay, Jesus, where inside is there still unhealed pain? Where is there sin? Where is there anxiety? Where is there bitterness or envy or whatever it may be? Where is there darkness inside of me that Jesus wants to shine his light into that darkness? Two, Advent invites us not only to locate the darkness within us, it invites us to locate the darkness around us. The truth is, there is darkness in your workplace. There is darkness in your school. There is darkness in your neighborhood. There is darkness all throughout our city. There are people who are suffering and hurting, and God is calling people like you and me to locate the darkness so we can shine the light of Jesus into the dark. I was talking with Brian Wilkins this past week in our DNA meeting, and he was telling me, he reminded me of a time that him, Kent Bowman, B.J. Smith, and Steve Gervarsi were helping move a woman. And they were in a, in a very dark place. They were literally finding needles all around. And people had been shooting up. I mean, it was just a terrible situation that they were in. And Brian said at one point they came together. And I think they were praying for this woman or whatever. And Brian noticed until there was darkness all around. He said, literally, physically, there was light around them. He says, the craziest thing I've ever seen. I mean, literally, it was physical, literal light in the midst of darkness. And he was asking, what do, you, what do you think that's all about? I was like, what's that all about? It's about what Jesus said it's about. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Therefore, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God your Father in heaven. So Advent invites us to locate the darkness around us. Third, Advent invites us to resist the ways of darkness. Jesus says in John chapter 8, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John would go on to say, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So Advent is an invitation to you and me today to resist the darkness, to choose, listen to me, to choose to do the right thing even when nobody else is watching. It's the invitation. To choose to do the right thing, even when it's not popular, even when it's not easy, even when no one else is doing it, even if it costs you money or means you're going to have to sacrifice something that you care about. 
The invitation is to walk in the light. Fourth, Advent invites us not to fear the darkness. It can be scary to face the darkness, especially the darkness in our own souls. For many of us, we just do not want to look into the darkness because we don't know what we're going to find. Or maybe you do know what you're going to find and you're just not ready to face it. And if that is where you are today, I just want to remind you that you do not have to face the darkness alone. The darkness may be big and scary and unmanageable to you, but it is weak compared to the light. And because Jesus, the light of the world, is committed to you, you can now face the darkness with confidence, knowing that no matter what is going on around you or in you, if you will just open up to Jesus, just even a little bit, just open up to Jesus, the light of Christ will shine into the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it.